As part of a recent Ivy Masterclass, members in Chicago learned how to not only become great leaders, but how to lead with authenticity, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and vulnerability. Hearing from the clinical associate professor and senior program director of executive education at Northwestern University, Robert Hughes, members were treated to an in-depth talk and a Q&A that guided them on their path to professional development as leaders who lead strategically and introspectively. So tonight, what I thought when I talked with Travis and others about what might be a relevant topic, I thought we would talk about really understanding yourself as a leader. So that's where we're going to go tonight. So what's my story? So I started my first job that I can remember, where I actually got paid for you know, for working, was with Mayflower Movers in upstate New York, uh, Hudson Valley area. I worked in the moving company. Anybody work for a moving company ever in their life? Yeah, who was it? Uh, Beacon. Beacon, okay. Com yeah? Military division. Very good. We need to talk, okay. Uh, anyhow, I worked for Mayflower Movers going through college, you know, summers and all that. It was a great job. And if you work for a moving company, like you know, right, you uh, load, unload, pack, you're part of a team. And eventually, if you're on a team, who's the leader of a crew that goes out? Usually the, the driver, right? The driver is the leader. So what do you want to become? You want to become the driver, right? I, became, I worked my way up. I got my permit to drive one of these things in upstate New York. And I was really, really good at driving forward. <laughs> Let me emphasize that. Forward and straight, I was good, OK? Backing up is a whole nother skill set, okay? And I used to get some pretty good feedback in the raw, as I would say, from the team about my skills of backing up a truck, the high adventure of backing up into, say, New York City or whatever. Backup and Bob, I think, was my name. Anyhow, so fast forward, career change. Not a bad career change. I went into the Army, 1986, 85, 86. I was an ROTC somewhere around there going through college, and I did go into the Army for a full career, which, like many of you, I did not know that I would stay for a full career. Well, my point here is, is that when I joined the Army, I joined an organization that was really, really focused on leader development and cared about making leader, the best leaders you can have at all levels. It was embedded in the organizational you know, fabric of, of the Army and all the other services as well. You know, I'm in it at the time, and a young second lieutenant, and then somewhere down the road near 30 years. But what's important about this is I got to know myself as a leader, you know, very, very young, in my, early in my career, know what sort of made me tick, how I operated, to put it in technological thing, my operating system, what worked for me, how did I do that? We used to have, we had a drill in, uh, or we had one of our, um, assignments we had to do was write our own leadership philosophy early on, right? Go inside, write it down. Not just a list of strengths, but really what it is it that you bring to the table as a leader. And that stuck with me for my entire career. And I never stopped thinking about it. And I don't think the great leaders ever stopped thinking about it. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is really knowing yourself and not just a list of strengths that you bring to the table, but really what makes you operate and how do you you know, how do you, op how do you operate on a day-to-day -day business? And I'm, I know for a fact, if I didn't know that and continually refine it and think about it and, and, and look at it and revise it, 
I wouldn't have grown to where I had you know, a successful career in the Army. I wouldn't have had that ability to do that. So that's why I think it's important and why I think we should spend time on it tonight. So what I want to do right now, and I want you to think about this, I want to plant this statement in your head, and I don't want it to be, I don't want it to leave after we finish our talk here tonight. I want you to kind of keep this in the back of your head as you continue your leadership journey throughout. Figure out how you might think about how you might, how you might finish this statement. As a leader, I am. As a leader, I am. Just think about it. Don't try to answer it right now. Let it, let it sort of rattle around in your head. But how might you answer that in the future? So we'll, that's what we want to talk about, part of what we'll go through tonight. I also want you to think about, while you're thinking about, as a leader, I am, what's in your DNA? What's inside there? Because this will start to help you answer that question. What values help shape who you are as a leader. What values? Is it teamwork? Is it collaboration? Uh, is it creativity? Is it innovation? Is it busting the status quo? What are the values that are important to you? But then ask yourself the deeper question. Don't just stop there, right? We can, we can all list integrity and things like that. We can list the ones that, it, that everybody can say. But what are the ones that really show up in how you come to work every day, or how you come as a leader every day. What values really show up there? If family is important as a value, where does it show up on your calendar, right? Right, those kind of things. The next ones, experiences. What kind of life experiences have you had that shape your leadership, who you are as a leader? Could have been a life experience, could have been a work experience, you know? Uh, my first experience with um, failure, right? Very young in my career, failed in uh, a mission with one of my tank crews where we had to qualify on a range and the safest place to be that day was, on a, was to be the target. My, my tank crew wasn't gonna hit what we needed to hit, right? And I can remember that we were demoralized, came off, we hadn't qualified our tank uh, in, the, in what we were supposed to do but I had two leaders that met us after that, and they knew we were down, and we were, you know, I'm an officer, so we're leading by example, setting the example, and we hadn't done, we just, we just were, didn't have a good day, but I had two leaders that showed up and talked to us right afterwards and pulled me aside specifically and said, Bob, I just want you to relax, shake it off, don't worry about, of course, I'm thinking my career is ending, right? You know, that's what goes through our head. Now that was a little bit much, but the point is, two leaders showed up, my two, my two bosses that I had, the next one and the second one higher, and they said, just relax, shake it off, don't worry about it, you're a good officer, go back, figure it out, and you'll be fine. And that stuck with me the rest of my career. That's the kind of experience, you know, in terms of a failure right then and there, learning from it, and how did I, and so whenever I had folks that worked for me, and they failed, you know, I'm there, that, that experience comes into play. How about, Okay, I'm going to try to do this two-handed. Okay, uh, so we talked about experiences. How about role models? Who are some of the role models that you have worked for or seen or, you know, have been around that left you something that shaped how you, who you are as a leader? Uh, I can think of several of mine. Um, 
Ed, again, we'll call him Ed, because his name was Ed. <laughs> uh, he was my first boss. And he took me out in Kentucky uh, when I was a very young second lieutenant. And he would find time maybe once a quarter, maybe you know, once every six months. We would just find time on our calendar. And he would take me out. We'd go out in the Kentucky countryside. And he would just say, hey, let's just go talk. We'd take our maps, and uh, he would say, hey, look, if you had to defend this area of terrain, or if you had to take, you know, attack this way or whatever, he would say, how would you do it? And we just had conversations. Uh, and he would sit there, and we just had a conversation about it. But what he was really doing in terms of an experience, in terms of a leader that shaped, helped shape me, he was investing in me already, in my potential. He was helping me to get prepared for the next level of leadership that I was going to. And he took the time to do it. That shaped a lot of how I operate as a leader. And so these are the kind of things you need to think about and put all together and just sort of let rattle around in your head a little bit when you try to play with this statement, which will stay with you for a long time because I'll keep repeating it, but as a leader, I am finished the statement. So, What's in your DNA? Uh, why do I think this is important? So knowing yourself, getting really understanding who you are as a leader, I think is important because it's foundational. It's your foundation as a leader. It what makes you different from her or from him. It, what, it's what makes you different. And when you're getting pulled in many, many different directions, as all of us do right now, leading in uncertainty, right? Volatile, uncertain times. Uh, when our t you know, time is, is precious and you're getting pulled in so many different ways, what is it that you, what's your bedrock, what's your foundation as a leader that keeps you and your team pointed in the right direction? That's one part. Second part is confidence. If you really know yourself as a leader, you're totally confident in what you are bringing to whatever organization you're leading, right? And the higher you go, the less of an expert you are, right? I mean, you're, not, you're gonna transition from being functional experts and then general management and then going up. But the leader in you doesn't change. The same, you know, I think I had probably over 30 years, somewhere around 19 or 20 different leadership positions. Some of those were on staffs, et cetera. But you're always leading something. It's the same guy that showed up every time in one of those things. And I can tell you that the last three positions that I had, you know, uh, they were all totally different organizations, and I was, you know, I wasn't the expert in any one of them. They were all vastly different. Same leader that shows up and gives you the confidence to lead. Yeah. I'm just curious how you went about adapting to that, because you mentioned going to three different organizations, right? Maybe even different industries that actually do different things, right? How do you adapt as a leader? So, I mean, I, I, you adapt, right? You do adapt. You look at the different teams. One team was sort of tired. Was a regional team. Uh, very, uh, had, been, had been run hard, very, very tired, and they just needed a little bit more direction, right? But I, I figured that out, and I helped figure out how to get them in that direction. But as you'll see, teams are very important to me, and that's what I emphasized. And it's just, but they still got the same, the same, the same bob. Then uh, another two other positions in the Pentagon, different, vastly different positions. One team, superior, super high-performing team. Could have, was pretty much on autopilot, but I had to figure out what's going to help, help take them and what my role might be in taking them to the next level. And then my last job was a job with a ton of stakeholders. But the point is, you know, I'm sort of the, 
just knowing yourself and what you being comfortable in different environments is what this is about. And as you rise, you're gonna, you're not gonna, it's probably gonna go vertically, maybe a little sideways, different organizations. It's about confidence, and I think that's very, very important. Thanks for the question, that was great. So here's the problem though, as we think about this, right? So that was all the good stuff. That was the easy stuff, Bob, right? Now, here's, here's sort of the tough stuff. Uh, some research out there, Tasa Yurik, I don't know if you've read the book Insight or whatever, or go to this uh, Harvard Business Review article by Tasha Yurik. She's a researcher, a lot of self-awareness recently, is that 95% of us really think that we're self-aware. 95% think we're self-aware. 10 to 15% are actually self-aware. That leaves a ton, a ton of room for errors, mistakes, and everything else. Has anybody read this, this article or anything on this? So this is a little scary, because what this sets you up for as a leader is sets the conditions to have you know, uh, career, you know, forks in the road, derailments, go left, right, not going higher. It also sets the, sets the conditions for blind spots or blurry spots. Are we familiar with blind spots? Have we heard the term blind spot, right? Things we don't know, but others do about us. It can be gaps and weaknesses, but I also want to identify and let you know that it could be hidden strengths that we don't know, right? It could be a strength that we don't know. But primarily when we think blind spot, we think of something that's going to cause, uh, cause us a problem, a friction point as a leader. So gaps and weaknesses. But I also think there's something out there called blurry spots. And I think these are different, but they're, they can be just as dangerous. A blurry spot would be things we know about ourselves, others might know it also, but we don't address those. But we don't address those. So blind spots and blurry spots. Now, look, to be honest, they run, they run the gamut from being something that may never, never ever derail us, but they could be very benign, but over time, they can become very, very catastrophic. They can definitely take a career and a leadership track uh, off, off balance. So that's why we've got to worry about those. And that's where self-awareness comes, in, comes into play. So here's an example of a blind spot. Let's talk about David. David's perspective of himself. Is somebody named David? No? <laughs> I'm just kidding. David's perspective. David's blind spot, hardworking, high energy, results oriented. Young executive on his way up in an organization. Here's how his peers saw him, his colleagues' perspectives of David. Intimidating, aggressive, self-serving. Two different viewpoints. His self-perspective, others. He goes in for a performance review from his boss. And David gets this. David, your colleagues don't trust you. And it's like getting hit with a two by four. It's his wake up call. He doesn't see it coming. His boss delivered it, you know, at least in that way, but you know, had the candor to deliver it to him. It was his wake up call. And he changed. This David is David Patruck, former co-CEO, I think Charles Schwab. So this was early in his career. And he was able to correct that blind spot, go back, talk to colleagues, say, I got some problems I need to work on, help me get better. But he didn't see it coming, and he was not self-aware. If he hadn't had that wake-up call, 
it probably would have caught up with him somewhere along the line. That's from the book True North by Bill George. It's a really good book, but that's a great example of a blind spot. Blurry spots. Uh, I, will, I will tell you one of mine. Mid-career, um, 16, 17 years or so in, into the Army, uh, I go in for a performance review. I've been doing fine, everything was fine. It happened to be in the Pentagon, where I was working at the time. And my boss calls me in, and he says, uh, you know, he says he's not behind his desk. He moves away from, the, from, the, from behind his desk, and we go to sort of the seating area. And he says, here's your performance evaluation. You know what it says, so forget it. It's good. OK, I didn't know what it said, but OK. He says, it's good. Don't worry about it. But what I want to talk to you is about is your potential. And he says, Bob, you've got a lot of potential to go higher, to lead higher in other organizations in the Army. Uh, but I want to tell you something. He goes, I kind of term you, uh, I kind of have, have this, this label. He says, I kind of think of you as this quiet professional. And I said, OK, quiet professional. And he says, you know, when you're in meetings with us, and this, he, was, he was a general at the time. And he says, you know, when you say something, you add value, you help me connect dots. But then I also notice you're, you're not really active in bigger meetings with other, you know, other folks, high-powered folks in the room. And I said, well, I'm not a big talker. And he goes, but he goes, look, you help me connect dots whenever you talk. And he says, this is something that is gonna, you're going to need to work on the higher you go. Now, it wasn't that I was afraid to talk. But it was about executive presence, right? I felt like I was in the room, it was their thing, and you know, whatever it was. But I knew it myself. I knew I tended to be a quiet person, a quiet, quiet guy in those settings. And that was something I had to work out, but work on. But he put it on the table, he called it out, and it was something that caught me mid-career that helped me get better the further I went. And, and, and it was something I had to work on. That's a blurry spot. Blurry spots and blind spots. They uh, things we need uh, to work on. So as a leader, Tim seems to do a lot of tasks or projects himself. What would you label a blind spot if, if this was Tim? He does a lot of things himself, takes on. He's a leader. Tim is a leader. But he does a lot of tasks or projects himself. What might, what might Tim's blind spot be? Robert? Uh, trust and delegation. Trust and delegation. Who's got something else? In the back. <laughs> right? Okay, right? Control freak, right? What else? Doesn't know how to ask for help. Doesn't know how to ask for help, right? Doesn't know how to delegate. Might be a perfectionist, right? Everything's got to be, nobody can do it any better than him. This often happens when what? You're coming out of a functional, functional leadership role where you are the expert on a lot of things, and then you become a general management type role, and you don't have to be the expert, and you have to get things done through other people. Okay, Tim's, that's Tim's, good. Lisa, as a leader now, as a leader, Lisa frequently walks into meetings five minutes late. Time management. What else? Oh, whoa, whoa. Lack of consideration. Consideration, keep going. Priorities, right? Organizational skills, what? Integrity. Integrity, right? How about trying to do too much themselves? I got to be in all these meetings. I'm, I have to be there, right? Common trap. That meeting can't happen. It goes back to delegation. It can't happen without me. I have to be there. 
right? It's certainly not because their watch doesn't work. But as a leader, here's another one. You know, you set the example. If you're on time, it sends a, people are watching you. This is a message you're sending when you're doing this, right? So, and you can manage that time. You can do that. Okay, one more. Uh, as a leader, when something, go wrong, something goes wrong, Bob makes excuses. I see this nice lady, young lady sitting here smiling like she knows something in this one. I won't put her on the spot, but if you have something. What's going on with this one? What's Bob's blind spot? Confidence, insecurity, accountability, taking responsibility, right? right? These are some blind spots that are out there. I just highlight these two in a fun way because these are things that you have to think about that help you have your self-awareness. Any questions, thoughts, concerns, gripes? Okay, good, we'll keep moving. Okay, so what are we talking about? So the self-awareness, how we see ourselves. We all see ourselves one in one particular way. But others see us differently, right? Others bring perspective to, to, to what they see in us. And the key, the key linkage between how we see ourselves and others is feedback, right? Is feedback. And it's important. It's the bridge. It's the only way that we're going to know if what we see in ourselves, remember David, right? Intimidating and all that, and how the rest of the world sees us, is to get feedback. And Judy uh, Habercorn, former CEO, uh, former senior executive in uh, Verizon, I love this quote. Some are more self-aware than others, but few of us see the world as it sees us. Few of us really see the world as it sees us. Feedback can help do this. Now, I'm going to say something right now about feedback. When you get other people's perspectives, it doesn't mean that they're always right. Okay? It doesn't mean that they're always right. All right. So. When we're talking about feedback, what feedback does for us as a leader is it keeps us sort of on, on a compass. It helps us stay on our path that we're trying to do. Feedback from peers, these are sources. We should get feedback from as many sources as we can. Peers, bosses, 360s, employees, mentors, clients, because this helps us know if we're starting to get out of alignment or it might let us know a blind spot or maybe somebody calls out a blurry spot like they did for me. How many have taken a 360 degree review? How was that? It was what? Revealing. Revealing, right? What else? Eye opening, Eye -opening right? A little, rough. a little what? Where is that? A little rough. A little rough, all right. So 360s. Now, I'm guilty of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I've done this. And I bet you people will agree I'll get nodding heads. I'm looking at my 360 review. And we used to get them annually. And uh, so you go through, and it's like strengths. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, yeah, that's me, that's me. And then, what? What the? Who said that? Oh, I know who's. I can figure out who said that. I, they don't know what they're talking about. They weren't in the meeting, right? And we absolutely start to discard that, right? You know, but that's the kind of information the strengths are important. We shouldn't minimize those. But that, that one that makes us go flinch a little bit is probably got a real nugget of truth in there sometimes, OK? So you got to think about them. So feedback from as much, you know, trusted agents, people that will tell you honest feedback and not just give you what you want to hear is what's important to building your self-awareness. Yes? How often should you be looking for feedback so that you don't look like you're lacking 
Yes, you know, not every time that you go to the coffee pot and every time you're in the lunch line. No, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but you know, if you give a presentation and you wanna know how, how did you handle the questions or if you were in a meeting uh, and you were running a meeting on a big project, you, these are things that would help you if you knew if you were running it correctly, right? But, I, but the part about what you're asking is to know what areas and what you want to ask for. And I don't want to give too, too much more away. But not every time you're at the coffee pot or the lunch line, okay? You can overdo it. Uh, but there are obstacles with feedback. I want to talk about four quickly. Mindset, other humans, well, just humans, organizations, and emotions, okay? So mindset. Has anybody ever heard of Carol Dweck and the mindset book? No? Yes? Right? The Mindset Book. It's a great book, good read. I'd recommend getting it. She talks about two mindsets. She's uh, out of Stanford. She talks about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. We're not always one or the other. We probably move through a little bit uh, you know, in between, depending on different things. But a fixed mindset, when it comes to these five areas in the middle, so for instance, challenges. Somebody with a fixed mindset is going to try to avoid a challenge, right? They want to stay in their comfort zone. They're not going to go there. Somebody with a growth mindset is going to say, I embrace that. I want to embrace that challenge. I want to figure it out. I want to learn from it. I want to, I want to, I want to take it on. Uh, when it comes to overcoming an obstacle, somebody with a defend, uh, fixed mindset is going to be sort of not put much effort into it. Uh, whereas somebody with a growth mindset is going to be persistent and get through it. But when it comes to feedback, criticism, it's important here is that if you have a fixed mindset, you're going to tend to ignore it and not ignore it. It's not useful to you. You're not going to learn from it. But if you have a growth mindset, you're going to try to figure this out. And that makes all the difference in the world. That's how you start to get inside these ones that on that 360 that says, what's your name? Cody said, that's got to be Cody that wrote that on my, on my 360. So growth mindset helps to do that. So the, the obstacle is having the fixed mindset. I'd appreciate your feedback. I'm working to improve meeting management, task delegation, empowerment, agility, whatever it is, help whoever you're asking out a little bit by giving them something that's concrete, at least to start the conversation. And then be curious about it. Dig in. OK, tell me more. Help me understand this a little bit. It's OK. So that's the other obstacle. So mindset, uh, humans are the other one. Uh, this next one is the organization. Has anybody ever heard of CEO disease? Yes. What is it? it first of all, is it catching, and do you have it? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, the way I see it, it's uh, they're up there, and their opinion is what matters, and the rest are there to yeah. serve whatever he needs. Okay. He's above everybody. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part of it. I'm not, but so the other part is, the higher we go in a, in an organization. You know, there's, it's just the higher we go, we tend to get less feedback from the organization. Oh, Cody, you're too busy. I can't, you know, people perceive that you're too busy to get feedback, right? But we also start to stop, we stop asking for feedback. Oh, I've started to rise. What's worked for me and continues to work, I get a little complacent. I don't ask for or pay attention as much to and ask for feedback. So it's just a phenomenon. CEO, CEO disease is just the fact that you start to get isolated the higher you go. And all of a sudden, you're just not getting feedback, and you stop asking for it. So you'll know you have this. You'll know the, the symptoms of it if 
You can't remember the last time you asked for feedback or the last time somebody gave you feedback just sort of unsolicited, okay? So the organization is the other one. You know, when you first come in an organization, you tend to get a lot of feedback, right, early on in your career. And you have to, you own feedback. You own it to a large degree if you keep asking for it. The last one of the obstacles when it comes to feedback, and these all relate to how well we understand ourselves, is emotions, right? Emotions are the other ones, and these are a little trickier. Uh, you know, when we deal with emotions and when we're asking for feedback from others, we're asking for other people's perspectives, right? It doesn't mean they're right, I just, it's just their perspective, but we ask for it, so we have these inputs coming in. But we're wired to scan for threats, fight or flight, right? And feedback when it comes in, when it says, you know, when there's a weakness or you didn't do something as well, it lights up our system about, you know, threat scanning, about what the feedback is. And what that does is it starts to get our emotions uh, come into play. We get dismissive, we get defensive, we get angry, we get shocked, right? All these things that try to protect us. And what happens is we get that reaction where we start to rationalize the feedback that came in that said, Bob, you're, you know, you're too quiet in meetings or whatever. We rationalize why we are, et cetera. Worst case, we ruminate on it. But at the end of the day, what we do is we don't do anything about it. That feedback, that nugget that might be worthwhile doesn't get through to us. But I think if you approach it with a different mindset, and I like these two words to help us with this, is authentic vulnerability as a leader. Authentic, I am asking for feedback because I want to get better. I, want, I care about myself enough to ask others. So if you're doing that and authentically wanting to get better and it's not just asking for feedback because you attended a session and feedback is what you should ask for, but authentically asking for it, and then realizing that when you ask for feedback, you're making yourself a little bit vulnerable, right, intentionally. But when you do that, you can start to take down the emotions because you're taking control of asking for feedback. Does that make sense? So authentic vulnerability is some words I like to use to, to help us think through that. And when you ask for feedback in this, in this kind of a, an idea, being authentic, and knowing that you're making yourself vulnerable, asking others and asking, knowing that you're still confident in what you're doing, but you're just trying to get better, you, you're still gathering information, but our mindset now is, is listening to Jim. It's asking more curious, guiding questions, being curious uh, and getting more out of them. We're managing our emotions. We might even anticipate how we might, re might react. Just by asking and taking control of it helps to bring those down. And then we get into this growth mindset and we can start to objectively reflect on what it is. And then what it helps us do is makes us aware and then we can decide if we need to do something to get better or change, right? It at least makes us aware, but we gotta let it in. So the emotions, you have to get through. They sting, here's what I would say. If it makes you sort of flinch when you get it, if somebody says something, then maybe there's really something there, but also know that it's your emotions that are, that are at play. Okay. Uh, we're getting close to where we're gonna take a, a group break, but I want just a few more minutes. And I've been talking a lot about, you know, how to do this, but I wanna give you a process about how to think through this and improve your self-awareness. And you know, if I gave you a business problem right now, you guys could, you could scratch it all out right now, you'd hack it out, you'd figure out how to do it, right? 
we don't tend to do that when it comes to ourselves and things that we know we can get better. So I want to walk you through a short a way, a way to do this. The first one is this process at the high level. How do I see myself? Write it down. Put it down however you do it, in Evernote, in a journal, whatever. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? But be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Remember those blurry spots. Put those down. Yeah. Then, how do others see me? Try to get multiple perspectives. Try to get from different sources, 360s, other people, clients, all the things I showed you. Look for strengths and weaknesses there. Then you've got to do the comparison. But you've got to be curious about this. And you've got to give yourself time to reflect on it, right? Don't just react to something. Give yourself time. Look for strengths and weaknesses when you compare. And then figure out where you want to be. Right? Where do you want to grow to? You at least want to improve your self-awareness right? by getting all this other information. Then you can try different things. You want to grow. And then if there's something you need to change, a behavior or something that you need to change, because like, it's like David in the example I gave you, then you can make a commitment to doing it. So that's the high-level process of doing it. But people, you, got, you have to write it down and have to work yourself through it. Now. I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I haven't done myself. So just a quick example. How do I see myself? So uh, on the left, it's not about me. I'm approachable. Uh, I'm open-minded. There's a whole list of other ones below that. That's how I see myself. But I also see myself, if I'm really honest, this is about midpoint, a little later in my career, uh, hard time relaxing. How many, how many people have a hard time doing that? Right? OK, right? We get caught up in work. Trusting my instincts, those couple times when I knew I should have maybe made, my gut was telling me something and I, I didn't trust it or enough to try to follow it. So that's how I see myself. How do others see me? This is taken from those multiple different inputs, performance reports, 360s, just feedback, et cetera. Act strategically, anticipates issues, builds relationships. You can see others. But here's where it show up, shows up from others, quiet, quiet professional. Doesn't take time off. Now, I, can see a, I can see a link between hard time relaxing, doesn't take time off. Relies on the same people as a leader, right? Does that ever happen with others out there? Relies on the same people? So that's how other people saw me at one point in time. What's the comparison? You can see what I see. You know, there's some interesting areas to explore. Maybe this is a hidden strength, being creative. Quiet professional, doesn't take time, overuses some people. So those are, those are some areas I need to take a look at, or, or I did. And then where do I want to be? Keep the strategic view, the mindset, et cetera. Got to strengthen my executive presence. I got to be more relaxed, leverage entire team, and listen a little more to my intuition. Work it out. Just put it on paper and work through it. Uh, you know relies on the same people. When you have one of those that you're getting and you're trying to explore, write it down with the big question mark around it. Put it on paper, stare at it, and then, and then ask yourself, could this be true? Do I tend to rely on the same people? In what situations? Be curious. Will this hold me back? Yeah, it will if I keep riding the same people and keep pushing the same ones and not developing others. Do I tend to favor certain people? These are the, be objective about it, but put it down on paper. Okay. So this gets back to your question about plan, you know, feedback, how you should ask, right? Well, you can make a plan. If you know where there's areas that you need to improve or that you want to work on, 
then just sort of plot it out. Who could help you if you have an executive presence issue or, or area you want to explore? What's the situation I could ask for it in? Maybe it's a monthly update. I can ask Lisa from operations. If it's priorities, I can talk to my team members in my team meeting. I can ask Tom. Sort of have a plan. This gets back to not asking for feedback for everything, okay? But it is a way that you can do it. So I, when we started, when we started, I wanted you to think about this, and I don't want you to stop thinking about it. As a leader, I am whatever. I would not ask you to do something I haven't done myself, right? I will just share mine, and it a little different than I, as, you know, I am, but it says, as a leader, it's not about me. It's about what we can accomplish together. I'm comfortable not being the expert and trust and empower those that I lead. I'm approachable, open-minded, collaborative, and decisive. I challenge the status quo and always look for ways to do things better. I care about everyone I lead and I will help them develop and grow. I lead by example and I'll always do what's right. That is far different than a list of strengths that I often get when I talk to leaders. Here's what I bring to the table. Put some meat around it, put some thought into it. It took me a long time to get to this stage. Um, and it takes time, you change it, words mean something. Share it with somebody that you trust and say, is this me? And you know what, it serves as that, that foundation when things are going rough and you say, okay, this is who I am, and this is where I got to make a hard decision. I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to do it. Uh, and it takes a lot of work to get there. If I, I can show you all the things I, I, I won't, but in my, how I got there, things that I kind of kept close to me as a leader, my values were written down, I had them, my pivotal moments in my career, things I learned from, people that helped me, quotes that keep me grounded, right? Um, that keep me centered, things I've learned about leadership, maxims or principles that I keep close, and then it ultimately ends up in a leadership statement, a leadership narrative, something like that that helps you become who you make sure you are aligned with who you are. Uh, what we've talked about tonight, we've continued this knowing yourself is a continuous process. Think about what's in your DNA. We talked blurry spots, blind spots. You can own feedback. Um, obstacles, we talked about vulnerability, authentic vulnerability, we talk about building confidence, keeps you centered, and it's a start point to being a great leader what this series is about. Um, on your leadership journey, make time to know yourself. You started tonight, keep it going, right? It doesn't stop, I haven't stopped, uh, keep it going. Um, we're gonna go to Q&A in a few minutes. Um, and we'll, we, can, we can talk about that. But it's been my pleasure to be here with you tonight. It's been great. Thanks for the energy. I hope I've helped. And That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life. And our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.